Welcome. I'm Dr. Owen Anderson, and I'm a professor of philosophy and religious studies at Arizona State University. And one of my favorite religious studies classes to teach is named Ritual, Symbol, and Myth. And we go over the ancient myths of the world, the ancient creation accounts, stories of where humans came from, what developed human society, the stories about the purpose of human life and what happens at death. And, and we, we think about some of these details, but also how they, how they really overlap in a lot of ways. And that might be called maybe the Joseph Campbell thesis, that there's something called a monomyth. There's really just one myth that's been put into some variations. There's, there's some secondary details different, but the essence of it's the same. Now, I have my own alteration to that thesis that I add. And that's what we're going to talk about in this book as we specifically consider the Book of Enoch. Well, I said in this book, this video, as we specifically consider the Book of Enoch. And all you have to do for me is subscribe to my channel, leave a like for me, and a comment so we can discuss this. Now, I have some notes about the Book of Enoch to give us some background on this. But my alteration to the Joseph Campbell thesis is that the monomyth isn't simply the human myth, it's the myth humans invented in the condition of being fallen with a darkened mind. So that's the key piece to add in there that makes it different because then there'll be another story, which is the correct version of it. But because humans are, are in that condition of being fallen, they, have, they, they can't come up with the story themselves. They have to be given the story by the appropriate authority. So we'll ask who is the authority? Is it demons or is it God the creator that can give us the actual account of what happened? So that's the addition that has to be added. In the, in the situation of being fallen, how would humans have made sense of the events of ancient history and the things that befell them? And what kinds of beings would they project to explain what happened to early humanity? So let's get into how does the Book of Enoch uh, address this, if at all? Now, this is a popular story, especially if you're a supernatural aficionado, you'll see that the uh, mythology of supernatural often appeals back to the Enochian uh, language or the Enochian prophecies or the Book of Enoch. And so that's talking about this. And you might wonder, well, what is this book then? And when did it get written? And does it have some kind of secrets, some mysteries that we didn't know about that we need to find out about? That's how it's presented, right? This is the, this is the truth of, we've got the Bible. I mean, there's 20 copies per person of the Bible. That's kind of old news, but is there a secret book that no one knows about, which really tells us what happened? Like the Bible just tells us from God what happened. We want to know from, from fallen angels. We want to know the perspective of what happened. Now, this is not secret nor too intriguing of a story, but that's kind of the way it's presented. Uh, what we have are fragments of a text, a couple fragments that were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls which are greatly incomplete and really don't prove anything about the whole book. The other thing we have is a copy of the Book of Enoch in classical Ethiopian, not in an ancient language. And these ones I believe are in uh, Greek. I might have read that one of them's in Latin. I mean, I don't remember if that's accurate. Uh, so we have a, a book dating far after the supposed events, much, much younger than the, even the Bible, and, and giving that whole story. And then you might find that that's a classical Ethiopian version. And then you might find two fragments in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which seem to overlap with what that whole book says. But of course, that doesn't prove anything, right? 
those might be fragments from a book that end that looks very different than what ended up being the one we have today, which could have been added onto. And it's interesting how this is really the inversion of what we know of the Bible. People complain and say, well, we don't really have an accurate original source of the Bible, but it's sort of like we have very old and many, many uh, examples to look to of the Bible, but then people will make a big deal out of this and say, yes, we found this one fragment and that proves some great truth. Well, they would not accept that if that's all you had was a tiny fragment from the gospel of Luke and that's all you had. And then to say, but the one we, the Luke we have today, which was only developed many, many, many centuries later is what this original fragment, no scholars would be all over them about the Bible, but for some reason they'll accept that about say the book of Enoch. So already there's a big question mark there, but what is this story about? Apart from the, from say the uh, textual criticism, what is the, the content of the story? Well, the essence of the story is perhaps one you've heard because sometimes Christians read from the book of Enoch into Genesis six. And, and the story is that there were angels who had babies with humans. And there's a prophecy about a Messiah who will save humans mostly from natural evil. Enoch will be this Messiah. Now, some of it seems to mimic language in the Bible. I would say it's that way, not the other way around. Not only the parts that we'll talk about in a minute from, say, Jude, where they say Jude is quoting the book of Enoch, but other parts in, say, Daniel or the way the Psalms sometimes speak. But the, the focus of salvation is, is just from things that we call natural evil, not really going to give us eternal life, which is the knowledge of God. It's not pointing us to that. Now, what happens in Genesis 6? I should put that on here. Well, in Genesis 6, it says the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And uh, had children with them. And also, there were the Nephilim in those days. Men of renown. So those are two separate things that it describes. It doesn't say... They had children with them who are the Nephilim, because they also say these are their giants. And does that mean giant in st physical stature? We know there were some people like that. Goliath, who's much later than, the, than this time, is, is, a, is a large person. He's not one of the Nephilim. Or is it a giant, which we use that all the time? Anderson's a giant in his field. No, I don't think they say that. But you know what that phrase means. Uh, so men of renown men who have done remarkable things. These would have been the persons who were forming civilization itself in the earliest parts of humanity, of human history and uh, accomplishing great works of, of dominion at the time. So this phrase sons of man or sons of God can mean believers or it could refer to angels. So the question is, which one is it here? And so we'd have to know from the context. What's happened in Genesis six is we just had the genealogies of the nations of Adam on down. And we'll look at that in a minute to look at the, the of what it says of Enoch in there. So you have that human genealogy and then Genesis six is set in that context. There's no interest here of what angels are doing. It's explaining the human genealogy building up to Abraham and then his genealogy to Christ, humans. So the sons of God marry the daughters of men. Interesting phrase, why not? Uh, daughters of God also. Well, the sons of God as believers saw that the unbelieving women were attractive and they married them and had children with them. So that is a bridge between Genesis 5 and the flood. 
the whole world is threatened now with unbelief because the believers are more concerned about having attractive spouses. And this has been a common reality. More interested in having attractive spouses than they are with preserving belief. And so belief itself is threatened. Their children won't be believers. And so it does indeed get to a point where the whole earth is flooded with unbelief before the earth being flooded with water. Now, there's other reasons to say, well, look, this can't be angels. Angels can't reproduce. That's, that's the thing about them. Uh, humans, animals, plants all reproduce each after their own kind. And even if you were to say, well, but there's donkeys and horses, they're not the same kind. Maybe they're variations of a similar original kind. That aside, though, their offspring, the mule, can't reproduce. So each after its own kind, not angels and humans. It'd be like saying an angel can reproduce with a fish. A, a, a human saw a fish was attractive and reproduced. Well, angels seeing that daughters of men are attractive is not enough to have babies with them. If you say, well, it wasn't just the angel. They, they, were, they were inhabiting a body. They possessed a human body. Well, then it's just that body and the woman's body. Nothing to do with the angel. So... Not to mention this, this is an important truth. Angels aren't incarnate. There are theophanies, which are visions of angels, but only the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. So these are not, they're not incarnations of animals that have, or, or of angels that have bodies that they can have babies. So this is simply a mistaken view, but it's not surprising that in the monomyth, the fallen human begins attributing the powers of this world to created things, including angels and demons. And these are fallen angels. That's not surprising. That's precisely what we're told in Romans 1 and precisely what we can know happens to people just from considering gen general relation. So all of these original stories, they don't speak about God. If they do speak about the original creator, he's distant or even asleep or dead uh, in, the, in the Babylonian uh, story. Goes asleep, they kill him and live in his body. So there's no direction to the knowledge of God. And that's why I said the Savior that's being prophesied about doesn't save us back to the knowledge of God. It's just from natural suffering in this life. So what you have is a kind of deontological reading, meaning why did the angels do something wrong? Well, they didn't do their duty. Their duty is just to watch. And they got too involved. You'll have entire Marvel movies about this. They got too involved. And... Can you really blame them? They're, they're painted really as good guys. Like, come on, can you really blame them? They're just trying to help out. Instead of saying, no, the focus is teleological on the knowledge of God. And, and the angels stand before God, worship God. And, and there, there would simply be, even if you say, well, these are demons not worshiping God, there'd be simply no ability for them to do that. There's so many tons of stories about uh, incubus or succubus and having babies. And it's just like, well, yeah, they're not incarnate. Well, they're possessing somebody okay but that's that person's body that not them they're, they don't have flesh they're not embodied they're not incarnate it's pretty straightforward so you can rule that out not to mention the strong argument already that these are sons of god as believers because that's the context and it's otherworldly it's it's not focused on dominion and development in this life for the knowledge of god it's some other creatures in this case angels and demons coming into the world and the world mostly being shaped by them so that's not fitting the context of what goes on in Genesis, which is a focus on God creating and human history. 
And angels have a very small role. And when they are mentioned, they're either bringing a message or they're worshiping God. It does, it does use the word watchers in Daniel. I have another video about the watchers in Daniel if you want to look at that. So what is he prophesying in reality? The truth is that Enoch did make a prophecy. And the book of Enoch misunderstands that and puts it into the monomyth fallen story. But we should want to know what he really said. And why is a prophecy accompanied by a sign? Prophecies are always accompanied by a sign. What's the sign of Enoch? So we'll get into that. Now, the language that we see when someone says, well, Jude quotes the book of uh, Enoch. Well, no, not really. I mean, the language we see him using about myriads of myriads is also in Daniel. So you don't have to have that as a direct quote from the book of Enoch. And not to mention that the timeline, right? That's for people who assume that we know now for sure because of these fragments that the whole book of Enoch, as we have it in, in uh, Ethiopian, existed hundreds of years before Jude. And they say, well, no, we don't have the proof of that's, e even if that was true, it doesn't follow because quoting it. And, and why should we accept that as true? So what is the, the uh, prophecy? We'll see it has to do with the flood. Prophesying the destruction of the world due to unbelief, the failure to seek God. And the unbelievers have gone completely over to, or the believers have gone over to the unbelief side. And yet it was promised that there would be enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. But now we don't have that. We have friendship. The believers, the line of the believers from Seth, are accepting the unbelievers' account of things. And so the whole world is flooded with unbelief. And so there's a prophecy that that won't be allowed to continue. It's not merely the flood, it's not just starting over. It's the earth will, will be filled with the knowledge of God. The work of dominion will be completed. And dominion is not just developing metal, music, ranching. Dominion is developing the knowledge of God. And the goal, the trajectory of history is toward the earth being filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. So you can think about how, given their lifespans, Enoch overlaps with Adam. And then contact, I mean, he, Enoch doesn't live to be as old, but there's his son, Methuselah and son Lamech, and then his son Noah. And all four of those, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, knowing about this prophecy, and then the sign, which is this, Enoch didn't die. So the sign of Enoch is that he was translated, he was taken from this life to the next without death. That sign is confirmation, his prophecy is true. And then you have that work of building the ark, preparing for this event, and, and having to start the work of dominion over, except for you're bringing what was known with, Noah's bringing that knowledge with him because knowledge can come with you. So in, in Genesis 5, it says, and Jared lived 160 and two years, and then he begot Enoch. And Enoch lived after, and Jared lived after he begot Enoch 800 years and begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. That's, these are long lives. Naturally, it was not as intense yet as it is now. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah 300 years and he begot sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365. And Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. And you can imagine they would make a search for him. He can't be found. God took him. A sign to accompany his prophecy. Well, Hebrews then tells us more. By faith, Enoch was taken away, so he did not see death. 
and was not found because God had taken him. That's the, the idea I said they're seeking for him, looking for him, seeking. Uh, where is he? Where he was taken? For before he was taken, he had his testimony, that prophecy, and then he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I mean, just that line blows up the uh, monomyth and the uh, book of Enoch, because in there, none of them are seeking to know God. If there's a God, he's just another one of the powerful beings. He's not the creator of all things. And the purpose of life is not to know God, it's to avoid natural evil. And so just in that verse, you get the great contrast between the biblical Enoch and the book of Enoch, Enoch, and all those others in that monomyth who are telling the story. It's as if they're telling the story from the perspective of Lucifer, and he's giving his spin on what happened. But this is what faith is, and Enoch had faith. And then and we get to Jude. It was also about these and Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So this is the part here where they say, ah, there's a quote from Enoch, from the book of Enoch. Well, even if it's a, a passage from a tiny sliver we have, it doesn't follow that the full book from much later is the same one that this passage is from. But also th these numbers... Like I said, this kind of phrase of ten thousands of his holy ones of, or angels is found in Daniel. So there's no reason to think this is a quote from that. And what is ungodliness? That's why back up here I had this phrase, deontology and otherworldliness. Ungodliness can be broken down to just rule breaking. And the angels, they were in love, but they broke the rules. So you can't break the rules. That's deontology. Rather than saying ungodliness begins in unbelief. And as ungodly sinners are speaking falsehoods about God. They don't know God, their creator. And instead, they attribute the world to angels, demons, ancient aliens. Ancient aliens is all, all started with the book of Enoch. When the author of Chariots of the Gods was young and a, a Jesuit priest gave him the book of Enoch. All of it started there. I could avoid all those shows if we just understood uh, the biblical Enoch. And it's almost like, yeah, we have these tiny fragments. We should trust them not the Bible that we have. So the, uh, the, the concern is unbelief. And, and these ancient stories, these myths aren't concerned ever to be saved from not knowing God. They're always concerned with cataclysmic events on earth. And that's because they don't even begin with the knowledge of God. They begin with a misunderstanding of the origin and, and of what's eternal God. And it, it continues on from there to infuse their whole story. So that's why I said that was my thesis about these ancient stories, which differs from Joseph Conrad or Joseph Campbell, Joseph Conrad, uh, Heart of Darkness author, Joseph Campbell, from whom we get the Star Wars franchise, he, him having taught George Lucas. And that's, enough, that's like the modern model myth. So the Book of Enoch. Why we should get to know the true Enoch and what he prophesied about the world having turned from the knowledge of God and the sign that accompanied his prophecy and that indeed because the world was flooded with unbelief, there was the flood. And the other side of the flood, we see Noah starting again and the lineage of Noah down to Abraham. And Abraham has a promise that through him, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And the blessing is they get to know God. Not what we find in the book of Enoch 
or in the various myths of the ancient world. So as always, thanks for joining me. Be sure to subscribe to my channel and I'll have more videos out and hopefully we'll get some great interactions. Until next time.